set yourself apart from the way the world operates, then start by showing kindness to the people around you. The fear that you're feeling, the guilt that you're feeling, that's the conviction from being in this presence. That's your sin. That's my sin doing that. But God's not here to continue. He's not here to say, I'm here to send you home. No, God is here to say, I love you and your sins are forgiven. This week is going to be a different episode of the Dirt Pastor Podcast. Um, I actually will not be preaching. Uh, I did not preach this week at the Ravenna Church of the Nazarene. I was actually visiting um, the Monongahela, Pennsylvania area, uh, the Church of the Nazarene there. I served as youth pastor for three years, and that church was celebrating their 100-year anniversary. So I was blessed to be able to go and be a part of that with my family. Uh, But Shannon uh, Bishop is going to share a message today from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. Good morning. Good morning. Even without running the computer, I feel like a chicken with my head cut off. Um, we're going to be in Luke 19 this morning. Um, Starting at verse 28. I forgot to put a bookmark in my Bible, so there we go. All right. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Um, Heavenly Father, I ask that you be with me um, this morning as I try to share what it is that you've laid on my heart. I ask that it bless all that are listening here and at home. Just be with us, Lord, in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So a couple months ago, Christian and I were reading through Luke, and we got to this passage. And it was really interesting because I love to highlight. I am a highlighter. My Bible is all different colors, but... Something that I found interesting about this passage that I just read is 
I only had one little phrase highlighted. Okay. Well, it stuck out to me at the time, but I didn't really think much of it. But then I started reading Mark. And when I got to this same story in Mark, same thing. It was the only phrase that I had highlighted in that whole section. And I was like, okay, I think God's trying to get my attention here. I wasn't sure why, but I'm going to tell you, this is exactly what I had highlighted. It's the part where it says, you will find a cult tied there, which no one has ever written. Seemed a little strange at the time, and I was not really sure what it was that God was wanting me to get out of that. And I spent a lot of time thinking on it. And it was almost like God was saying, don't you see what I did? Don't you, don't you see what I did in this story? Now, growing up, I was a horse kid. I loved horses. Still love horses. Any kind of, like, donkey, horse, even zebras. I love them. Well, when I was really little, um, I saved up some money, and with help from Mom and Dad, I got a horse. His name was Stormy. And when we got him, he um, was a little on the scrawny side. He wasn't, you know, he's kind of very tame. He let us do kind of whatever. I mean, I was a four- or five-year-old kid, and he would let me hang on him. He would come if I whistled for him or yelled for him, whatever. But the longer that he was at Papaw's, the fatter he got, and the fatter he got, we realized he wasn't quite as tame as we thought he was. You know, he would let me ride on him, but when Mom tried to ride on him, he would take her to the barn and would rub her up against the barn, <laughs> trying to knock her off. I love that animal. You know, probably my favorite pet that I've ever had. But my parents, my papa and mama, they kind of realized that this animal wasn't tame enough for a kid to have. Even with papa leading him around, he just wasn't tame enough for me to have. So we decided to get rid of him. And thinking from that perspective, I realized what God did in this passage. Jesus, in this moment, had picked an untamed colt to ride into Jerusalem on. And if you have any experience with horses or donkeys, you know that that's a wild concept. Here Jesus is coming to this packed city, riding on an, a young, wild, when you have an animal that's not tame, it's going to be a little wild, especially if it has no experience with having a rider. And yet, he was able to ride it through the city where people are shouting, waving palm branches, throwing coats on the road in front of this animal. Not only did that choice fulfill a messianic prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9 
it also gives us another example of Jesus choosing the unlikely candidate. If you look at who Jesus used a lot of time in Scripture, it was someone who was a very, very unlikely candidate. But, you know, we have this story. We see that even though he picked the animal that nobody else would have, he's able to ride through the city. People shout praises for him. And I thought, you know, that's it. That's my sermon. I told Jason that I was going to be able to do it for him. I was like, that's it. Would have been a pretty quick sermon if that was it. I mean, I've been up here about five minutes now. But the longer that I thought about it, something I could feel it was missing. And it took about three weeks for me to realize that I didn't have the whole picture yet. I didn't have the entire story that God wanted me to share today. Um, a couple weekends ago, Dad and I, along with Christian, uh, we went to a Reds game. I uh, had a lot of fun. First time I'd been to a Reds game in a while. On the way back, I'm sitting in the back seat, and we're all kind of having this conversation about um, the impact of different men and women in the church, specifically in the New Testament. Um, you know, we have the disciples who laid the foundation for the early church. They were taught by Christ, and then they went out and spread the gospel. And then you have the women who, you know, were supporting the ministry. They were becoming disciples in their own right. Um, a lot of times we hear about, you know, how important it is that the women were the ones who found the empty tomb. But the longer that we were having this conversation, it was this nagging feeling in the back of my mind, what's missing? And I was like, well, I don't know, what do you mean what's missing? And I sat there and I sat there. And I realized the question wasn't what's missing, Who's missing? And it hit me. The children. We talk about men in ministry all the time. We talk about women in ministry all the time. And I have realized, what about the children? And as a school teacher, you know, that's very near and dear to my heart. As I'm sitting there listening to Dad and Christian, all these different stories started coming to mind. You think of Moses' sister, Miriam. Okay, She's standing there watching baby Moses. We don't know how old she was. She may have been, you know, a child. She may have been a teenager. She's standing there watching her baby brother as he's floating in the Nile River. And Pharaoh's daughter comes up and she's brave enough and bold enough to step up and say, Hey, would you like for me to find someone to nurse him? That was a big deal. She was an Israelite. This is Pharaoh's daughter. 
You just didn't go up to these people. And yet she was brave enough to say, hey, I'll find someone for you and they can nurse this baby. I think of Samuel, okay, this little boy who in a time where God was not talking to people a lot of the times, God calls this little boy and gives him this word to speak. And as he grew, you know, his prophetic gift just grew. And then eventually, he anoints David to be king. Um, the story of the little maid in Second Kings, I love that story. It's another great example of a child. You know, she's been taken as a servant from her home, but she's brave enough and bold enough to speak up and share that in her faith she believes that if Naaman would just go, if he would just be willing to go and listen and go do what Elisha says, that he would be healed. Josiah, though, Josiah's probably my favorite story of a kid in the Bible. I always thought it was really cool that he got to be king when he was eight years old. Um, you know, I was learning to read about that age, and Mamma had these books. They were Bible story books, and they had awesome pictures in them. And that was probably my favorite story because I was like, I'm eight years old. What if I became queen at eight years old? Probably would not work out too well. But even from that young of an age, it says that he walked in the right way of the Lord. And then at age 18, he realized that they weren't living the right way. He had all the idols destroyed. He got rid of all of the priests that you know led worship of these idols, and he reestablished that covenant with the Lord. There's David who fought Goliath. Some people say he may have only been just like 10 years old at the time. I definitely could not do that. Being queen at eight, I could have done that. Fighting a giant at 10, nope. You have Mary who's visited by an angel as a teenage girl who tells her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. That's a heavy load to lay on a 14, 15, 16-year-old. And yet she chose to say, yes, Lord, I will do that. And then the last one I really thought about was the boy with the loaves and the fishes. This little boy who was willing to give the simple gift that Jesus used to multiply. And I just sitting in the, they had no clue that all, all this was going through my mind as we're driving home. But just sitting there thinking about this, God was willing to bring these children and these teenagers through some scary, difficult situations. And then in those situations, he used them to fulfill a purpose and it glorified his name and I think the thing that has really been on my heart the last little bit is if God is willing to use these children are we are we going to be willing to 
encourage the children's involvement in our church, or if it's our grandchildren, nieces, nephews, another family member, and they're in a different church, are we going to be encouraging of that? Call on their lives. This church has always been so amazing at supporting our children and our teens in what they do. And I have loved to see everyone here encourage them in the things that they do. I think of Jaden a couple weeks leading the singing or the day that Brody got up and was coming up here to sing with David. They ran back down and you know sometimes I think that we try to compare the kids to that cult. Well, I don't know. He, he might be a little bit too young to be an usher. What if, he, what if he drops the plate and spills money everywhere? Well, I don't know. She's a little too wild to maybe run the camera. I mean, what if she broke it? Well, don't you think that maybe they are a little bit inexperienced to do that? I mean, some of us have been doing what we've been doing for the church for a long time. I mean, we've, we've got the experience. Why, why don't we just take care of that? In Matthew's Gospel, I think this is important. Matthew's Gospel is the only gospel that mentions that the cult was tied up with its mother. Jesus could have easily chose the mother. I mean, she was going to be a little bit, she was older, probably tame, had the experience of having a rider before. She probably would have been a great candidate to ride through this busy city. And yet he chose the cult. Maybe like the cult, God sometimes chooses to use children to remind us that he is in control and that he can use anyone as long as they're willing. So we have this opportunity. Proverbs 22.6 says to train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have an opportunity as a church, as parents, as grandparents, as aunts, uncles, friends, to train up the children in our lives. It's going to be up to us to prepare them for when the Lord puts a calling on their life. I hear parents different times um, say things like, I just hate that my kids are having to grow up in this world. I've heard grandparents say it too. I just, I hate that my kids are having to experience how evil this world is. But I think that what I'm going to say gives us a little bit of hope. What if 
God has chosen these upcoming generations for a special reason, for a special purpose, a special calling. Acts 17.26 says, From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. What if he has appointed these younger generations, these children that we have in our church, these children that we see in our lives, what if he is going to call them? What if we are raising the new Davids, the new Miriams, the new Samuels? I was talking to my friend Shayla a couple weeks ago, and I hope I get all the details of this story right, but I wanted to share it. She's going to a church in Winchester, and she was telling me about this little girl that goes there. I guess last year they had gone to children's camp, and during one of their services, the Holy Spirit just fell on the service, and the kids came back, and they were so excited, and they were filled with this joy, and they wanted to pray over the church during the service. So the pastor's like, of course. We're going to have a special time, and these kids are going to be able to to go wherever they want. They're going to be able to pray with whoever they want. And this little girl, during this time, she gets up and she goes over and puts her hand on her grandma, on her chest. And she was praying. And I don't know who all knew, but the grandma had a tumor. I think the grandma knew but I'm not sure that even the little girl's mother knew at the time. But it was right where that little girl had placed her hand. And she prayed over her grandma in that service. And a few weeks later, the grandma went back to the doctor and the tumor was gone. And Shayla tells me that that little girl is always one of the first people to get up to pray with people at the altar, whether they're kids, whether they're adults. She's almost always the first one up to pray with people. She told me that she will sometimes walk around the room and sit with people and pray with them. I think the thing is we shouldn't be worried for our children. Because he has placed them here for such a time as this. And I think there's three things, real quick, that we're going to have to do for these kids. Number one, we've got to lift them up daily in prayer. We've got to pray for that anointing on their life. We've got to be willing to say, you know, this. I see the work that's happening here. And Lord, I want you to just magnify your name within these children. The second thing is that we should encourage them to be active in the church, whether it's ours or elsewhere. But most importantly, we need to be willing to sit down and teach them to listen for when God calls because he will call and if they don't know what to listen for they might miss it 
it's our duty to ensure that they recognize his voice. As we wrap up this week's episode, I just want to highlight something that Shannon was really emphasizing in this message. And, and, the, and the big takeaway from this sermon should be, God is not done yet. God is still calling and equipping young people. It could be a teenager. It could be a kid that from your vacation Bible school. It could be your own kid in their bedroom right now. God could still be calling them. God is still working and moving their lives. And you and I get the privilege of praying for them, empowering them, and watching them go. Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dirt Passman Podcast. It was recorded live at the Ravenna Church of the Nazarene, located at 530 Main Street in Ravenna, Kentucky. You can learn more about the Ravenna Church of the Nazarene by visiting ravnaz.com. And if you'd like to send me a message, just simply use the link in the show notes. 